you want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. And I'm Andrew Paul. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Edmonton is full of generous donors who've created endowment funds at ECF. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share stories from spaces where endowments and community intersect, because it's good to be well endowed. We're going to start this episode off with another excellent installment of our history series from Chris Chang Yen Phillips. Right, ECF is celebrating its 30th year, and Chris has been helping us explore ECF's more historical connections to the city. We're excited to share his latest story. If you walk down Jasper Avenue today, you might notice an unusual old-timey building with a white cone on top. It's called the Alberta Hotel. And today we know it as the home of CKUA, and a little restaurant, and a bank. But in another life, it was really a hotel. In 2012, the Social Enterprise Fund part of the ECF family, provided a loan for tenants' improvements, studio offices, and other facilities. In its heyday, the Alberta Hotel was a popular spot from everyone from the high-level bridge engineers to politicians. Our guest producer, Chris Chang-Yan Phillips, has this story about one night in the life of the hotel, when a group of traveling salesmen gathered to show their appreciation for the man at the front desk. It was fall, and the seasons were changing, and the Knights of the Grip had gathered at the Alberta Hotel to celebrate their old friend, Bob Patchell. It was 1913, back when the society pages told stories about all the fancy guests staying at the Alberta, and the traveling salesmen too. Good old Bob, Bob who'd served them faithfully as the clerk and manager at the hotel, was off to Winnipeg to rendezvous with his girl Mary. Mary from back home, from all the way back in New Brunswick, In a day or two, he'd hop on a train and make Mary his wife, and they'd come back to Edmonton, Mr. and Mrs. Patchell, and he'd still be managing the hotel. But everything would be different. Plans. You make plans, and you hope the world doesn't make new plans for you. It was 1913. The boys of the road sure surprised Bob that night. He had no idea they had a ceremony planned to celebrate what one of them called the second biggest event in a man's life. No idea they'd pooled their funds to present him with an oak case full of silverware. They told him if he and Mary should at any time desire a spoon, they had only to turn to this gift and think of the boys. Maybe it was such a big party because of how much they liked Bob. Or maybe it was because he was overdue for this whole thing. He was 34. Maybe they were happy it was all finally happening for him. After a decade in the military, he was finally settling down. Did he think of those spoons and all those fond wishes a year later when war broke out in Europe? Did he think of that oak case and all those plans a year after that when he enlisted, leaving Mary behind in Canada? Lieutenant Robert Truman Patchell, height, five foot nine, complexion, fair, eyes, hazel, hair, auburn, Church of England, yes. 
Surely this wasn't what Mary thought she was signing up for. Surely this wasn't what Bob thought was in store for him either. The Knights of the Grip gathered around for a song. For he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow, which nobody can deny. In a year or two, it'd all go to hell. In the decades to come, this hotel that had brought them all together would close down. It'd all be packed up, brick by brick and stone by stone, and tucked away until it was ready to become a new building, full of other people's stories. And they'd put it all back together again. But tonight, Bob was surrounded by the boys, and they wished him well. He had a lump in his throat, but he squeaked out a thanks. It was 1913, at the Alberta Hotel. That was Chris Changyan Phillips with a story about Bob Patchell, the manager of the Alberta Hotel back in 1913. Thanks very much to Chris for bringing us that piece. Before we head into our next story, we want to let you know about a few student award deadlines that are coming up. Take a listen to see if you or someone you know could be eligible for educational funding. First up are the Al Mara Awards. These are for public service employees who demonstrate excellence and long-term commitment to their profession. Awards range from $500 to $2,500. The deadline to apply is August 31st. Then there are the Charmaine Letourneau Scholarships for Albertan students who are deaf or hard of hearing. The size and number of these awards may vary. The deadline for this is also August 31st. And last up are our community grants. These grants are to support the needs of charitable organizations and can include things like launching new programs or gaining operational resources. These grants are versatile and can be up to $50,000. They are worth checking out. The next deadline to apply is September 1st. Be sure to check our show notes for more information about the grants and how you can apply. All right, let's get back to the show. Elizabeth, can you tell us about the vital topic and what a recent report has told us about how Edmonton measures up when it comes to including Indigenous women? Absolutely. Edmonton Vital Signs is an annual report that identifies community needs and helps us focus resources based on those needs. This year, in addition to the full report, we are also highlighting individual issues throughout the year. We recently focused on finding out how Indigenous women are getting along in our community. And as you might guess, we found some startling statistics that really demonstrate how vulnerable Indigenous women are. And we also learned about their resilience. So can you maybe walk us through a couple of the stats and pieces of info that really stood out for you while you were coordinating this project? Absolutely. There's um, quite a number of interesting things, but what we found overall is that despite the fact that more Indigenous women are accessing post-secondary education, they're still having a lot of issues with economy and housing and racism. And it's really something called intersectionality, because not only are they struggling to survive with intergenerational trauma, but they are also uh, trying to do their best with education, but they are running up against brick walls over and over again. One of the things that was surprising to me was the fact that uh, with the murdered and missing Indigenous women, nobody actually knows how many people are missing out there, uh, which is uh, quite frightening. And uh, the recent report that came out on murdered and missing Indigenous women referred to it as race-based genocide. But despite all that, there's also quite a number of Indigenous women that are doing great things in our community. 
Um, and on the back of our report this year, we have a special section, and it's 12 Indigenous Women You Should Know About. Um, and they've done everything from great political strides to um, working in Hollywood, but they're all from Alberta, and they've all done great things. Yeah, I was uh, really happy to see Georgina Lightning uh, in that list. She was on the cover of our Legacy in Action magazine a couple of years ago and uh, does some great film work. Uh, so I highly recommend checking them out. And another incredible woman that you got to work with on this project was Rochelle Venn. That's right. She works for the Institute for Advancement of Aboriginal Women, or IAAW for short, and they recognize the role, value, and achievement of Aboriginal women in society and raise awareness about the challenges and obstacles that they face. Rochelle joined me in the studio. My name's Rochelle Venn. I'm the CEO of the Institute for the Advancement of Aboriginal Women. I'm a Métis woman from Edmonton. To explore why it's important to look at how Indigenous women are included in our community. So here's our conversation. Thanks for being here with us today. So we want to talk a little bit about Indigenous women. Why is that an important topic here in Edmonton? Well, I know in my experience, I've been in my position since 2010, and uh, it really became apparent that um, they are one of uh, the most vulnerable and um, an area that we need to work on within Edmonton and for us, Alberta. So when you say vulnerable, what do you mean? Like, tell me something a little bit about that Mm -hmm. makes them more vulnerable than maybe the average Canadian woman. Yeah. Well, when you look at the socioeconomic statistics uh, for Indigenous women, uh, you can look across Canada or you can look in Edmonton or Alberta. Uh, That's one of the significant projects we worked on at IAW uh, in 2004 to 2006. And it's really across Canada. Um, So what that means is highest uh, barriers to economic prosperity. I could put it to you in a story. Perfect. So say if uh, you're wanting to, um, you know, after school, you've done some post-secondary, you want to try and get a job. Okay, uh, so a majority of women have come from traumatic backgrounds. Uh, So what that means is they have significant barriers to continuing that employment. So that could be Uh, lack of daycare, lack of affordable daycare. There's often a member of their family that has justice involvement, which requires time. Um, In regards to health outcomes, you see that uh, Indigenous women have many uh, chronic and other health issues that they're dealing with. So it, it provides them or gives them a number of barriers that they have to overcome just to continue to work, right? So what you're really looking for is sort of an equal opportunity for people who may have some of these barriers, right? Right, yeah. So just like other Canadians, um, Indigenous women just want to get ahead. They want to provide a good um, uh, income and and safe environment for their families. And so that's, that's what we want to achieve. So we've been working together on the vital topic for Indigenous women. What are some of the statistics that stick out for you? Yeah, well, I think the highest, and it comes as a result of, um, you know, further uh, from the National Inquiry on um, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, but the, the numbers around sexual assault are very, very high. I know it's interesting, and it's not surprising to us, but the idea that more women are educated, more Indigenous women are educated, yet they still are in poverty. So 
you know, high numbers of poverty, even the work that we do in Edmonton here on the Empower You work that we do in a big collaborative, there's over 50% of the uh, participants in that program that are Indigenous. And why is that, right? So so those are some of the statistics uh, around poverty and violence are the, the most significant um, that we've particularly been working on. So in many ways, when you look at all the individual statistics, um, you know, violence and sexual assault and employment rates and education, it doesn't add up the way it's supposed to add up. So it really is um, sort of an inequity. So what are some of the things that um, your organization does to maybe help find ways to help people succeed? Right. So one of the most successful programs that we have, and we've been doing it for about eight years, is the Financial Literacy Program. Uh, so we do a number of uh, components to that. Uh, we call it a poverty reduction strategy. Uh, but it is allowing women to uh, earn, build, and save towards a better outcome uh, financially. So we, uh, along with our collaborative partners, work towards opening those doors to the bank, opening those doors to Um, opportunities to save where they never thought they could save, um, accessing subsidies and things like that, that, you know, put a little bit more money in their pocket um, that they can, they can use towards their family or advancing their education or their job. A lot of these things are just helping them get by day to day. So um, making sure that their families are fed and taken care of and and that they are, are finding work and being prosperous. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about uh, why you think this this is happening to Indigenous women. Is this um, something that is in our fabric of our, our society, or is this um, something that's been left over from generations? What, what's the some of the issues that are behind it? Yeah, it always baffles me, and uh, I, I try to, to kind of figure that out, you know, every day I, I work, but... The idea that it's a different set of rules, um, the systems are not um, set up that they encourage women to succeed, Indigenous women to succeed. So, uh, for example, where there's more likelihood that your child will be apprehended than, you know, than a mom receiving support um, for keeping the kids with with her and, and so... That's just attitudinal, but also systemic, very, very entrenched policies and and things that were set up long, long time ago that have never been changed. In the National Inquiry final report, there's lots of uh, work that has been done to kind of outline, you know, and and I can say there's been lots of of really good reports who kind of identify um, the colonization, those types of things. Uh, we also talk about human rights violations that have happened. So there is quite a bit of significant work that has been done to to look at why that is. I am excited when people ask me, how can I help? Because it's uh, everyday people that are just wanting to kind of make a difference in their world. Um, and that translates into how can it, you know, build communities? How can we make those baby steps to to making the outcomes a little bit different. So how can people help? Yeah, so I I have lots of ideas, um, but number one is to know, like be aware, and I think that's why it's really important to have a report card. But the idea that, um, you know, being aware of, of the statistics, what is actually uh, reality, 
uh, because as we know in the schools and, and our educational system, um, that, that was not shared. And so um, there is an awakening of, of people to kind of find out, oh my gosh, I never knew this was happening. And so that's really encouraging. Um, the other idea is uh, look at your policies, look at, at what you're doing within your organization. How does it, you know, negatively or positively affect Indigenous women? And uh, really look at some of those changes. So I'm very uh, excited about organizations that kind of do that. You know, they kind of take a purposeful look and see uh, what they have within their current structure that um, helps uh, change the outcome for Indigenous women. The Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women's Report is a uh, very substantial report. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I think is interesting is that there's a lot of recommendations that I think are will help all Indigenous people, not just mm-hmm. murdered and missing women or mm-hmm. finding getting to the root of that. Can you speak to some of the things that have come out of that report that um, might be helpful in the long run for everyone? Yeah, I think... It's very extensive, and I've read it a few times and digested. You know, we had a little bit of early opportunity to read it and and things, and we will be kind of workshopping it a little bit more to kind of dive into what they'd actually some of the sections are referring to. Uh, but for me, it was really um, I don't know what the emotion was, but it was it was it was interesting that I've heard all of those stories. You know, and I, I haven't been in this work all my life like other people have been, but the idea that I could identify with all those stories and and actually, you know, having to turn women away because, oh, that's something we don't do or, or that's something, uh, you know, we can't help you with. Let's try and refer you. But it's, it's interesting that um, that came out loud and clear is that those there is a lot of similarities across Canada in regards to uh, what Indigenous women were feeling and how they've been treated. For Edmonton, for example, we um, try and work with our partners to um, to make those changes every day, right? So we've been working on some of these issues for quite some time to kind of say, okay, let's let's look at some innovative ideas to try and change the outcomes. And so it's been really successful in that way. We're working on some of the human rights um, aspects. So we have a, a Rights Path Alberta document that we're revising to include some of the sections that uh, have been noted in the inquiry. And it's something that we will continue to to work on, uh, you know, and try and implement as best we can with uh, Province of Alberta and city partners and any other partners that are, are uh, willing to kind of work towards, you know, those changes. For changes for the average person, can you give me an example of one thing maybe anyone can do to sort of help further this along? Well, I don't say you don't have to do anything different, right? Like, so if you are involved in a church society or you all are involved in a in a, some type of uh, extracurricular activity, something like that where you can kind of introduce, um, you know, a subject or a workshop or invite a guest speaker or things like that to kind of build that understanding and then allow for good question and answers and, and things like that so that there can be a joint learning. 
And yeah, like try not to, uh, we don't blame anybody. Like, so the, the idea of it has to be a welcoming environment has to be something that you don't see as work or, you know, as, uh, you know, but it, it's, it's all about cultural understanding and, and just expanding your scope. So, um, so basically what you're saying is maybe just open your mind a little bit and mm-hmm. be willing to, to hear somebody else's point of view and, and maybe spread that message a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I know my dad, uh, just to example, he passed away a few years back, but he was heavily involved in the church. And he, uh, you know, I said, okay, dad, well, you know, you like to putz around with bikes, you know, so why don't you come to the Homeless Connect and help out, you know, the indigenous people that use bikes as a mode of transportation, fix their bikes up, you know, or things like that. So it's just, yeah, being a little bit creative in how you can assist people. It's not necessarily money. It's not necessarily uh, a big event or or it's it's in our individual lives and and uh, you know the the idea of the number of single moms um, that are out there so babysitting those types of hey can I give you a break you know those are those are really good examples of how you could help a mom. When we see somebody who has a number of different challenges and we're not necessarily you know understanding fully what's going on in their lives, mm-hmm. how do we you know? How do we open our mind to that? How, how do we see something more beyond what we are judging on on the face? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I don't know if I can answer it. <laughs> it's a big question, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, but I know, like, um, you know, the idea of, um, you know, giving kindness, those types of things, it's, it's hard to explain. And, I mean, it definitely has to be the right situation, you know, where you're... Um, you're trying to assist somebody. Um, but I guess that it's just that understanding that, you know, being able to kind of walk a mile in their shoes and, and you know, uh, look for opportunities to help out wherever you can. Maybe it's not with that particular person, but it, it's with an organization that does uh, support Indigenous people in that way. You know, I think, yeah, it just has to feel right. So it's hard depending on the situation that you're in. I, I think a lot of people maybe are quick to judge or quick to form an opinion based on what they know. And it's not out of anything other than this is my life and my lens. Um, and I think one of the th- ways we can maybe improve the situation is realize there's lots of things going on that we don't see and don't understand and maybe mm-hmm. need to be a little bit more open to or a little bit more understanding towards. Is there anything that you'd like to add? Uh, mm-hmm. about the report, about, um, you know, things that we can do in the community, how how anybody can help? Well, I know um, from our partners with the uh, government of Alberta, we're planning on using the document for a lot of our work that we do. We have both the, uh, I'm on the Métis Women's Economic Security Council, and there's the First Nation Women's Economic Security Council. So there's plans to to kind of utilize the information uh, as a starting point for uh, the work that we're doing. The idea that uh, when you look at socioeconomic um, indicators, for example, you don't always think about child welfare. You don't always think about these ancillary or or other aspects to um, to the equation. And so we had to do a lot of sales. In that, in that regard, 
it's uh, the idea that it's a job, you know, if they'd only have a job, then they'd be good to go, right? You know, so the idea that there are a number of other factors that um, affect um, that area and your ability to kind of succeed in life. And so, so I think by having a report card that um, identifies a lot of the different um, barriers as well as some fantastic, successful women at the back that, you know, have achieved uh, some great successes from it, that there's a real balanced um, look to it. I, I, I like that a whole that idea that we need to look at people as holistic and it's not just one statistic. Mm-hmm. But when you look at all the statistics together, yeah. it paints a picture that there's a big disparity here. Um, and, you know, it's not just getting the job. It's mm-hmm. also, you know, succeeding in other ways as a mom, succeeding as, yeah. a, as a woman, succeeding in your community. Um, so there's lots of ways that you have to look at, at, at that individual. Yeah, and the idea of resilience, too. We were trying to, trying really hard to kind of uh, look at that as an uh, evaluation measurement tool. And so we've done a little bit more work at our office to do that. But the idea that when you have compounding and complex traumas throughout your life and how do you still make it, right? And uh, so those were some of the significant things that it kind of made us think a little bit more about and try to say, how could we, how could we show that? How could we, um, yeah, measure, measure that resilience, if you don't uh, benchmark it, you'll never know if exactly. anything's any change. So um, hopefully the the report will give a little bit of that to you. But you just mentioned also that um, there are some fantastic women at the back. Mm-hmm. Now, you guys also do the Esquail Awards. Did mm-hmm. I say that correctly? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit quickly about that before we go? Sure. Uh, the Esquail Awards are uh, an award ceremony, recognition ceremony that we've had. So next year will be our... 25th year. Um, So we've got almost 500 uh, women that we've recognized across the province and um, in a number of different categories. But the idea of it's very different than other award ceremonies in that it can be your your son or your daughter that nominates you. Um, The community selects them. So uh, we receive letters of support from the community uh, saying how great this woman is in this particular area and we honor them so uh, the idea of it's totally community driven and uh, the families and the corporate community as well as the um, agencies that have written letters come to support her in this day of uh, fantastic uh, you know celebration and we try and shower her with as many gifts as possible and, uh, you know, it's their Grammys, Emmy, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so it's a it's a it's an award ceremony. But can you give me some of the categories? Because you said there was a, a variety of them. Yeah. So um, we have uh, community involvement. We have Children's Future Awards. We also have uh, service to country and community. Uh, we have uh, environment, arts. It is a variety. Yeah, a number of different categories, and we tried to make it as broad as possible. But the whole concept was that um, uh, Indigenous women we didn't see uh, being recognized, and so the co-founders, Margot Pariso and Muriel Stanley-Venn, they decided to make an award ceremony that was specific for Indigenous women and supported them in, uh, you know, giving them a pat on the back uh, for the work that they've been doing. That's wonderful. Yeah.
thanks to Rochelle Venn for sharing her time with us. We are going to have all sorts of links in our show notes. You'll be able to find the Vital Topic Report, a link to the report on missing and murdered Indigenous women, and of course, more information on how the IAAW values and celebrates women. So head over to the wellendowedpodcast.com to find these resources. We're nearing the end of the show, but don't go yet. We've got to tell you about a really cool podcast. Lisa, why don't you scoot over from behind the mixer and tell us what you found? Yeah, thanks, Elizabeth. I've been listening to The Read Along, which hosts Scott and Anita Bourgeois describe as a mini book club for your ears, but I can only describe as delightful. Each episode covers a chapter of a book, and currently they are reading A Memory Called Empire by Arcady Martine. I'm having a ton of fun listening to Scott and Anita talk about all of the intrigue and scandal and danger that the characters face. And even though I haven't read the book, I'm still having a blast. So, one more time, the podcast is called The Read Along. It is a great way to nerd out on stories and storytelling, and you can find it at the albertapodcastnetwork.com, on the CKUA radio app, and wherever else you get your favorite podcasts. All right, I'll throw it back over to you, Elizabeth and Andrew. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, Lisa. Well, listeners, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for listening. Yes, thank you. Getting to share this show with you is awesome. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews are a big help, and you can follow us on Facebook, too. That's a great place to see pictures and share your thoughts. Thanks again for hanging out with us. We've been your hosts, Andrew Paul. And Elizabeth Bonking. Until Until next next time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation and is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.